Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement, people who are committed to and showcase qualities of planetary leadership. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. I'm your host and creator of Green Planet, Blue Planet. And in today's episode, my guest is Talinka Yordanova. Hi, Talinka. Hello, pleasure to be here with you. Yeah, I'm excited for our conversation. Talinka is the CEO of the Global Citizen Forum. She joined the organization shortly after its inception and has been instrumental in the process of its structuring, management, and establishment as an active player in the international civil society. A firm believer in the power of dialogue as a catalyst for action, Tali has designed and implemented numerous initiatives in the space of irregular migration, refugee crises, gender equality, women empowerment, girls' education, and social entrepreneurship. Working alongside the late Kofi Annan, Tony Blair, Cherry Blair, Jose Manuel Barroso, Irina Bokova, various heads of state and government officials, as well as Robert De Niro, Robin Sharma, Usher, Akon, Wycliffe Shaw, and many, many more, she has contributed to the evolution of the concept of global citizenship as a cultural hub for cross-sector partnership built on the shared sense of responsibility for the future generations. And so with these words, I'm excited to have you. Welcome, Tali. Thank you very much for, for the introduction and um, a real pleasure, pleasure to be with you today and to be sharing you know, our conversation with your audience. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to drop into the topic of you know, global citizenship and very much the responsibility for future generations in, in a way that, you know, as I said in the introduction, that's cross-sector, but that also takes into account the different needs and requirements for, for people from different places, different continents, different ethnicities and backgrounds. And so I know that, that the work of the Global Citizen Forum is um, very much focused on our planetary refugee crisis. And, and maybe you want to share a little bit about the work in the last few years and, and some of maybe your personal ways to connect with the Global Citizen Forum. Yeah, so um, the Global Citizen Forum is, um, is a Canadian nonprofit organization. It's built across two uh, sort of main um, um, functional, let's say, pillars. Uh, we try to bridge dialogue with action. Um, the dialogue element we feel through events and high level discussions with uh, heads of state, thought leaders, and so on. Um, and the action element we feel through uh, supporting grassroots organizations, as you mentioned, um, in uh, uh, various critical sort of conditions. Uh, as you mentioned, a lot of work with refugee camps, but not limited to that only. We, we support grassroots um, supporting women, gender equality, education, um, and so on. Um, our core belief, I would say, is uh, built on the premise of global citizenship as a, as a moral and uh, actually many things, as a moral, administrative, um, even philosophical, even if you want, um, um, code of conduct. Uh, we built that, we built that um, topic across five structures, um, just because global citizenship is such a vast topic right it, it you can get lost in the term if you don't put some structure to it so we've identified five sort of um, things that define the conversation and uh, those are um, for us um, the one of the most important things uh, is to do with governance 
and uh, we truly believe in, in um, a global form of, uh, of governance. Um, we truly believe in mobility and migration as the only way to achieve global citizenship really as a, as a way of um, existence. Uh, we need to have access to mobility uh, on a universal level and we need to have access to migration um, on a universal level. Um, we believe in um, culture and identity. And I think to be very honest with you, uh, that's probably one front where we're doing pretty well as a, as a global village. I mean, we share a lot of cultural, thanks to the internet, of course, we've been able to globalize a lot faster on that front. Uh, but when it comes to identity, I think we're sort of lagging behind. But anyways, what we believe in is, uh, uh, you know, a world where people identify themselves as citizens of the world and as human beings, if you want, rather than as particular nationalities, geographical sort of um, affiliations, um, ethnical, racial, and so on and so forth. Um, sustainability, of course, an extremely important part of being a global citizen is, uh, as every citizen, you need to be a responsible uh, inhabitant of this planet. And um, of course, you know, this comes with a lot of rights, but it comes with a lot of responsibilities. And um, um, that's something that we need to work on still. And uh, finally, it's technology. I mean, we can can't, uh, we can't really achieve global citizenship in its ideal shape and form without the, the, the help and force that technology can, uh, can, um, can bring about. So those are the five sort of uh, main topics we talk about um, at our dialogue um, side of the, of the organization. And, uh, and as I mentioned, of course, across each of these pillars, there's different uh, grassroots that, um, you know, that hit the ground and address you know these global sort of macro problems and uh, and topics on a very specific uh, micro level where uh, you know a real measurable actually impact is being is being uh, achieved which is where the most exciting part is if you ask me so yeah this is uh, you know in a nutshell what what the what the forum does and uh, what we stand for Beautiful. Yeah. Thanks for walking us a little bit through the structure. Let's get a, let's get quite a bit more granular. I'd love to know some of the stories, some of the the achievements, some of the things you've been celebrating over the last years, and then um, you know if you're if you're wanting to share, it, it's always good to understand also what we're actually working on right now or what is still a challenge. I think um, I'd love to understand a bit more about you know when when you speak about cultural identities within like a planetary uh, or global. Um, kind of kind of envelope I think I personally have this feeling of being a global citizen since I'm a, a, a young teenager having traveled and lived in many different countries and you know having 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 gone to many different places identifying as a European or a German was, was kind of like a secondary experience for me um, and primarily I just felt as a human on the planet and what I had to discover and what I love discovering was that everywhere I went, there was local culture and local, you know, expression of culture. And I think there's a very interesting kind of paradox that at, on one hand, we are this global identity of a human being on the planet, but then at the same time, we celebrate and live within local cultures. Well, I think that's beautiful and we should do our very best to preserve that uh, as soon as, you know, 
it, culture is an interesting thing. I mean, it can connect us, but it can divide us as well. And certain um, dimensions of the cultural beliefs we carry can clash. And um, sorry to go into the negative side of things, but this is, uh, you know, it can be a source of, uh, of division and tension across different cultures, across different societies, across different communities and so on. Um, one of the main problems, um, one of the main reasons actually why, for example, we have a, such a, you know, disproportionate and uh, mind-blowing really refugee crisis happening in the world today, one of the main reasons is cultural. Um, you know, you can't, local, let's say, receiving governments, local governments are shying away from um, integrating people into local societies because of the cultural sort of disagreement you know receiving societies have with regards to the uh, to the the ones that are arriving and it's highly unpopular and they would lose office if they do it they wouldn't be voted in again and so on and so forth so one of the main reasons is is culture you know one of the main reasons is identity but at the same time i completely agree with you you know i come from a very small country bulgaria in uh, it's part of the european union but it's probably the smallest and the poorest country in in europe and uh, I've been extremely fortunate and lucky to have traveled and lived in many different countries around the world and to also call myself a global citizen today. Um, but um, because let's say my country is a little bit smaller, it doesn't have such a strong cultural identity, doesn't have such a you know, pronounced cultural sort of um, uh, dogma, even if you want. Uh, I've been very adaptive and very open and I barely clash. Um, but that doesn't necessarily go for more distinctive cultural sort of systems, you know. Um, so culture is wealth. It's, uh, it's, it's beautiful and there is, it, it contributes tremendously to our, you know, uh, to the richness of our inner and outside world. Uh, but it can be a source of, uh, of tension and problems, unfortunately. Yeah, I, I think it's good to discuss this a little bit more controversial and, and go into both like the upsides of the, the beautiful parts and also like the challenging parts about, you know, um, living on a peaceful planet that actually works works for everyone. And so what I'm hearing you say has has probably a lot to do with with where culture turns into nation, right? Where where nation where nation states and, and the government of nations is is kind of like, exclusive or yeah somewhat a separation from others would you say i mean this is maybe more philosophical but would you say the ideal of a global citizenship is somehow also connected to this idea that we're all connected interconnected and kind of one um you know as we i recently had an astronaut on the show like as we zoom out and we're going into outer space um the planet is really just one big blue and green loop of of <laughs> of molecules and so would you say that global citizenship kind of follows that ideal to understand we're not separate nations. We're, we're one big human tribe with lots of different identities. 100%. I would say uh, probably every single thing that we do and we promote and we talk about uh, and uh, initiate is entirely based on this fundamental belief of interconnectedness and uh, you know maybe five years ago interconnectedness was more exotic as a term but every day that goes by we feel the level of interconnectedness as extremely visible extremely you know um, 
tangible, even if you want, and it, especially with the current situation that's happening in the world. I mean, it's, uh, I hate to use that word because it's been severely overused over the past couple of months, but it is unprecedented. <laughs> and uh, it's the first time, you know, we, we share as a global community, really in every corner of the world, we share the same threat, we share the same measures, we can't travel because we spread around, you know, various things when we travel. So interconnectedness at its worst, unfortunately, but uh, in a very obvious and very, um, um, you know, in a, in a way where you can really feel it and understand it. But um, not only that, I mean, interconnectedness can be also extremely, has been extremely underlined in the context of uh, the climate crisis that we are facing today, uh, where you have, you know, some of the richer and uh, more financially stable economies being the largest polluters and of course the less developed and more vulnerable um, countries being the first ones to take the hit so there you go another another very you know very powerful example so we truly believe that um, global challenges need to be addressed in in a global way and there needs to be more collaboration and there needs to be only collaboration actually you can't uh, I don't think we can do anything on a local level uh, anymore. Um, and uh, the sooner we integrate interconnectedness in our um, way of life, in our um, set of beliefs, in our um, governing systems, the, the better we're going to you know, deal with, with everything that's coming up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. I, I'm, I'm definitely curious to understand more how that looks in in real steps going forward, you, you mentioned you know climate or you know the, the great pollution that we're facing. There's there's definitely um, you know another currently somewhat negative example of how interconnected we are. But that's also I think everything that's a challenge on the planet right now is ultimately a, a huge opportunity to wake up, to shift perspective, to maybe you know uh, suspend current understanding and, and reach new perspectives. I have I have a question that that I know you know is is kind of in, in many people's minds maybe listening right now, um, and that's about kind of the fear, the threat, or maybe just you know the the imagination of like, could a global government not also be like a, a, an authoritarian threat in itself, or like how how can we prevent kind of the like global authority to become reality and rather a global true citizenship that allows people to be free, that allows people to be sovereign, that allows people to, as you said, migrate, travel, interconnect, et cetera. Well, um, look, I think um, government government in uh, in the traditional sense of the word, or actually no, in, this, in the sense of the word that it's come to have today, is uh, experiencing, experiencing its lowest point since this system ever existed. And I think everyone listening to this podcast would agree. Um, we're having uh, a complete uh, and utter crisis of governance happening across nations and continents. And uh, it's no longer you know, uh, a factor of how developed and how democratic a community is, a country is. Uh, it's it's across you know uh, economic uh, development, uh, democratic development, and so on. I mean, the USA, of course, uh, I can't not mention it, is uh, the best example of how how 
how lost we have become in this in this whole system and um i think uh, as much as you know so many different systems um we use today are being completely disrupted uh, government is one that hasn't been yet but uh it's a matter of time and i think uh, government the way it is and the way it works and the way it functions has completely lost its um, um, inherent purpose uh, so um, it and the good thing is people are becoming more and more aware of that and uh, of course global challenges like the ones uh, we mentioned uh, just a moment ago are helping people to realize that the systems that we have in place today are not equipped to protect them to protect their lives to protect their livelihood to protect their needs uh, i'm not even talking about uh, freedom you know ability to i'm talking about survival so um, obviously this system needs to be completely shattered down um, and build up from, from the ground up in a completely different way, in a completely different way, not keeping a single part of what we are having today uh, going forward. And that's uh, for it to become um, a global system, for it to become a global sort of governance uh, system, this is, for me, this is what needs to happen uh, for it to not even you see even the word government has become um, uh, it has a negative connotation I mean when you talk about government you think about autocratic regimes right which uh, which shouldn't be the case I mean government should be a democratic um, uh, democratic sort of rule of law which is there to to serve and protect the people of its um, of its governance uh, but this is uh, really not happening at the moment so it just needs to be completely reimagined from a philosophical point of view, from a, a moral point of view. The whole uh, social contract uh, dilemma needs to be uh, renegotiated, uh, and um, and um, and I think I believe this is going to happen. I, I really do. Well, we're certainly in a big transition of change. If that's through, you know, a global health crisis, if that's through, you know, honestly, a global media crisis of of, of censorship, of you know, um, just like paid for interests, or if if that's, you know, us waking up to the situation of of our planet and the climate, or what I prefer to say, the great pollution that that we kind of created in the last hundred years. So there is there is a need for a dramatic shift or let's call it evolution. And I would say that's, that's already underway. And, and the, the dying uh, old system, you know, is kind of at its last kind of grab for that kind of power. So in a way, you know, I, I share the belief of unlocking the power of global citizenship so that all people can be seen and treated as equal. Um, so tell us a bit about how your work looks in, in like, you know, climate refugee crises and, and, and migration, because that's where it gets very real. And we're kind of leaving the philosophical conversation into like just very tactile examples. Well, uh, you know, we've been dealing with uh, refugee related uh, issues and let's say irregular migration for, um, you know, some years now. And uh, usually uh, the the conversation and the narrative has been built around people fleeing violence, conflict, famine, uh, famine, and uh, stuff like that. And of course, over the past couple of years, the narrative and the conversation has shifted a lot towards environmental threat and uh, environmental migration and environmental refugees. 
um, of course, as always, and that feeds to the to the uh, discussion we just had, as always, the um, uh, administrative system that we are subject of today is lagging behind uh, dramatically and uh, is not reflecting the dialogue and the no, not even the dialogue. It's not reflecting reality in. Uh, in any way. So up until recently, uh, you know, environmental or climate refugee was not even recognized as a, as a legal term. And if a person would flee their country because, for example, their country is sinking, which is an actual reality today, uh, they wouldn't be um, they wouldn't be allowed asylum and they would be sent back because, according to international law, they don't qualify as, as refugees. Uh, luckily, there is, you know, some progress on that. Um, in January this year, the UN, UN uh, Human Rights Committee ruled that refugees fleeing the effects of the climate crisis cannot be forced to return home by, by um, their adoptive countries, which is huge progress. But still, the magnitude of, of this crisis that's coming up is, uh, is uh, to be honest, it's difficult to even um, to even picture and it's uh, it's difficult to, I mean, the numbers are difficult to imagine, you know, uh, there's been uh, a lot of studies trying to quantify the effect that climate change can have on, on uh, migration and some, some of them rule out that by 2050 there's going to be around 250 million people displaced as a result of uh, the global pollution, as you call it, uh, I like to call it climate crisis because change is not, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not appropriate anymore. Um, there is like there, there is so many studies and so many numbers that are flying around uh, in the air at the moment, and uh, a lot of organizations are alarmed and talking about it and so on. But unfortunately, again, you know, we're we're still. Um, and don't get me wrong, I run an organization that's built on the belief of dialogue, but uh, we can talk about it until a certain point, right? At some point, we need to really start acting and preventing and preparing for a crisis that is coming. It's around the corner and it affects millions, hundreds of millions of people's lives and uh, and uh, actually the, where it gets really dramatic is that around half of this people that I mentioned are children. So, um, so we're talking about, you know, we're talking about a humanitarian crisis in the making today uh, and uh, very little action to, to prevent it. So for us, yeah. it's, uh, it's becoming uh, more and more, I mean, our narrative and our, our um, focus is more and more shifted in that direction and less and less shift, uh, less and less focused on, on the rest, because there's enough studies proving that the amount of people that are going to be forced, forcibly displaced, um, is going to be at least fivefold more than people being displaced by violence, war, uh, lack of resources, and so on. So, one hundred percent. That's definitely a serious problem. That, as you said, is around the corner. If, if not, it's already here, right? And. I think the idea of a nation state that protects its borders um, is kind of failing the reality that we're one humankind that, you know, has has a need to migrate and, and relocate. And so um, there's a lot of work to do. I'm, I have a very curious question there for you, Tali, and that's about optimism. And it's about, you know, the changing the energy of doom and 
um, crises, which there is crises and there is, you know, there is challenge. But let me ask you on a personal note, how do you consistently choose optimism and choose to believe in a world that allows people, women, men, children to be equal and have, have rights? Um, I believe in the next generation. I really do. I mean, I believe in, uh, I believe in evolution of, of the humankind. Uh, if you want, I believe that uh, people become better and more aware and more conscious and more um, interconnected. Uh, with every next generation, and uh, and I I place my optimism in that, to be honest, because um, my hope and my my belief that um, you know the world is going to survive everything that's coming its way is is entirely is entirely built on the belief that the people that are going to be in the decision making positions and in, uh, will be holding the power and will be deciding for the whole you know. Um, uh, planet are going to be driven by, uh, you know, by good intentions. So this is where I uh, I place my optimism. I know a lot of people are probably going to laugh it out, uh, but um, but I don't know. Like you know, for me, I'm uh, I spend my life in the nonprofit sector, and I'm surrounded by activists and <laughs> and nonprofit organizations that all all of us you know believe in a better world and we fight for it and we protest and we vote according to what we believe in or we don't because we don't believe in anything or you know so being a part of this uh, this community and this ecosystem uh, gives me hope because i'm surrounded by like-minded individuals that that believe that the world uh, is good that believe that humans are good uh, it believes in progress in evolution in uh, in um, tolerance and uh, and acceptance and partnership and so on and so forth. So I, I'm, uh, you know, maybe I'm biased to be to be optimistic, but um, I've had a, a good, you know, uh, surrounding environment that's helping me be there. That's awesome, and I think this is a very important piece you're mentioning. Like, find your tribe that allows you to wake up with energy for the purpose, the calling that you feel right. And I think the global narrative, and I mentioned a little earlier, like there, we talk about climate crisis and refugee crisis and political crisis, but we also have a narrative and a media crisis and censorship that is, yeah, quite, quite frankly, horrific. And yeah. so that kind of narrative is what keeps people in this pessimistic loop. And what we really need is people to believe in themselves, to believe in their inner guidance, to believe in their community and through that apply themselves into the world so I, i'm totally with you on this and i think it's very important i have another question that you know it's more aimed on a personal note and so something that comes up a lot in this podcast and with you know kind of the the tribe and ecosystem of change makers i'm connected to is that changing the dying um you know national identities and political systems like kind of along the line of what you said earlier seems to happen only as fast as we can trust each other and we can build trust with each other. And so my question to you is, um, what is required for you personally to experience trust? That's a very good question. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I really don't know. I mean, uh, on a personal level or on a on a like a governmental level, like because well, I don't remember. You can find your way in through the the top level, but I'd love to hear on a personal note because I, I think you know we, we we're we're a big human superorganism. And, you know, again, I'm going to zoom out from the astronaut's perspective, quite, quite literally floating in space. But we're also individuals. And as individuals, there are certain values or, or ways of how we, we create connection, we create um, community. And, and I think trust is a very pivotal experience. And living in a society that we can't even trust the media or the government we have fully that challenges trust. And so that's why, you know, in, in each of my interviews, I asked the trust question because I, I think there is something, um, at least for me personally, that I haven't fully learned or understood yet. And I'm just very curious about. No, it's uh, really, I mean, it's uh, an extremely good question. And now when, uh, when I think about it, I realize that uh, it's, uh, trust is also uh, going through a huge crisis and uh, is becoming more and more uh, scarce. And I realized that I don't think, uh, you know, we believe or trust any of the, let's say, um, you know, uh, factors or let's say, I mean, I keep going back to the governing, but I'll go on the personal level as well. We don't trust any of the, uh, of, let's say, superior sort of um, units or powers that we are a subject of in any, in any way. I mean, uh, you can't trust news, as you just mentioned, and the, the smaller the country is and the more corrupt the government is, the less you can really trust. So you live in a complete informational eclipse and you really have no idea what's going on, which creates a lot of anxiety. Um, but then, of course, I mean, for me, uh, because again, I'm a small country, which is unfortunately not very democratic and is quite corrupt. For us, like fake news and uh, actually, un, you know, untruthful, untruthful news has been a completely normal thing for the past like two decades, ever since we are, a, you know, a capitalist economy. Uh, but the thing is, like, it's instead of us becoming less corrupt and more authentic in the way we produce news, um, the world is becoming more like us, which is terrible. Um, so trust is uh, is becoming like obsolete even in that context but uh, of course uh, on a personal level uh, what creates trust between between people is uh, i don't know it's a very uh, psychological and unconscious process i would imagine i don't know how you are when when you connect with people but you know it's very different when you connect with person there is a, a lot of things you can feel um, from them and they can um, they can communicate trust uh, in um, a lot of nonverbal sort of uh, ways and um, you can sense it and and follow your gut or follow your intuition and believe that this person is trustworthy worthy or credible or you know uh, walks the talk or whatever um, so I would say on a personal level for me I, I I trust people when I when I feel that I can trust them. It's not very uh, rational or very scientific answer, but it's, uh, um, I guess. Uh, Beautiful answer. Thank you so much for, for going me, there. For me, working well. Struggling so. with finding the answer. I think, you know, trust is an experience. And, and that's why I'm curious about learning more how that, how that forms for, you know, purposeful and connected people like yourself.
And so, sorry, can I ask you a question? I know I'm reversing roles here, but uh, yeah, that's cool. It seems that you've spent some time thinking about that. What about you? I mean, how do you trust people? Yeah, no, thanks for asking the question back. I'm always open for changing the format. Um, so I'd say first, trust is an experience. Um, I don't think it needs to be scientific at first. Maybe there's something observable at second. Um, I would also differentiate between the experience when you're literally in front of someone and with someone and you get um, you know, a whole lot of information through body language, through um, you know, energetic kind of, kind of uh, exchange as well as through what's being said or, or simply how the person, the person shows up. I think I have developed a giving people the benefit of the doubt kind of attitude, which means I'm definitely listening and sensing for information on every lever, level. So if that's what people say, if that's what people do, right? Very important for me is the difference between what people say and what people do. Um, there, there's just so much discrepancy between, you know, talking and then walking that talk. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, my attitude has, has developed as a benefit of the doubt. And then when someone repeatedly shows that they're actually not to be trusted because what they do is just contrary to what, what they propagate, I think that's when trust kind of leaves the room for me. And um, mm. to be honest with you, I do believe trust in another person has a lot to do with trust in myself. So only when I can trust my own word, when I am in integrity with myself, when I'm you know, I'm, I'm a human, so obviously I make mistakes and I, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't say that I'm, I, I got things figured out. There's some things I've got figured out and other things I don't have, I don't have figured out. And so in that kind of experience, I, I want to come back to the benefit of the doubt. I think it's important to give people a little bit of this playing room, but then also to be really clear on what is integrity and are you meeting this integrity? And if you repeatedly don't, then, then trust leaves the, the space. And in my experience, when trust leaves the space, um, I'm going to make a metaphor to what a lot of people have been saying for a long time. Then it's just quotation marks here, everyone. It's like business as usual. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. and that is a horrible, horrible notion. It's like, you know, through this Corona experience in the world right now, when can we go back to normal? Well, hopefully never. Hopefully you can just go to new and better. Because there yeah. are so many things we spoke about in this episode, like that are at the stage or level of crisis, and um, not not to get carried away here, because you just asked me about trust. But crises in our nervous system and in our psychology creates a fight or flight, um, you know, response. And fight or flight is very helpful when you're in, in imminent danger. Um, but we know that fight or flight ultimately leads to stress, leads to burnout, leads to unhealthy conditions. And so, you know, talking about a virus or a healthy immune systems while media and certain interest holders are keeping us in this fight or flight. And there's a crisis of A, a crisis of B, a crisis of C. I think yeah. that is in itself um, tearing down trust. And, you know, I think there's a lot of work to do as a species, as a society, as a local community, as a global community to build trust and to, um, you know, move out of crisis into trusting. 
uh, what you said about the benefit of the doubt reminded me of a, of a really good quote, which of course applies only on a human to human level, but the fastest way to, I don't remember who said it, it was a famous person, but I forgot now, but the fa it goes the fastest way to, to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. And um, and I think I think that's uh, absolutely true because once you trust somebody, it um, it comes out pretty fast. If it was uh, an Ernest Hemingway quote, I just googled it once. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So it was very, someone very famous. <laughs> the best way to find out if you can trust somebody is to trust them. Exactly. Yeah. And when you trust yeah. someone, you give them the benefit of the doubt, and if, if that gets broken, well, then you know you can't trust that person. Exactly. But and that's pretty. It's pretty fast, you know, because you can you can you know, be, uh, be careful and, you know, delay the process of giving your trust and be, this being the most valuable thing you can give to somebody. And you can try to explore and feel and analyze if that person is worth of your trust. But if you trust them from day one, in a, in a very, very short period of time, you will know that uh, it was a good or bad decision. Yeah. I'm totally with you. And I like that we, you know, kind of got, got stuck on the question of trust a little bit here because it, it is such a deep um, way that allows us to actually connect. And so if you think about that, what it requires, if you actually give your trust to someone and let's say they break the trust, it requires that you stay in a self-sovereign state, that you stay in a state of agency where when, you know, let's say a government or a business individual or a billionaire has, uh, you know, some kind of uh, nefarious way of acting, then they actually, you revoke the trust and you realize, hey, so uh, you might be a person of power, but honestly, now our agency, our self-sovereignty tells us to, um, to not trust you anymore, to change the plan of action and, and, and adjust, right? Yeah. Um, well, Talia, I have a few more questions. I'm gonna, I'm gonna just jump to the next one. And I'm curious, you know, from a global perspective, or I like to say planetary, um, from a global or planetary perspective, what's your idea, thought, or, or, or opinion around the big picture of trash? Uh, another one that's uh, very difficult to crack, right? Um, you know, I, uh, as a person, I, uh, you know, I try to not use plastic, I recycle and everything, but to be honest, I think uh, as much as I really believe in the power of individual action and, uh, you know, uh, individual action translating into collective sort of uh, results and so on and so forth, it's actually, it feels quite discouraging uh, when, when, I don't know, you go in open waters and there's so much plastic floating around and, uh, Listen, we go back to the to the topic of governance because the only the only thing that can solve this problem are governments. Um, I don't I don't believe as much as of course I don't want to um, you know I don't want to minimize the importance of the individual contribution, but I don't believe the the, the solution is is with us. I believe governments need to. Um, to tax more, they need to uh, forbid certain materials, they need to um, spend more public funds into recycling facilities, into uh, cleaning facilities, into more sustainable practices, and so on. And, and, and again, uh, I, I really believe um, 
this is where the role of uh, global governance is really missing because if there was uh, you know uh, you, like let's say a uh, a centralized um, global institution that could not only give recommendations but issue certain sort of um, um, rules um, and regulations. Uh, this could could be achieved uh, way faster um, if it if it stays within within the um, the will and uh, the uh, sorry the consciousness of local governments yeah okay you know more developed countries are probably going to progress with this faster but you understand it's the same with uh, 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 with the greenhouse emissions I mean there's a lot of money into this and uh, we can be you know all idealistic and all believing in uh, in beautiful concepts and a beautiful future but we live in an economic money driven uh, system and whenever you know a decision that needs to be implemented by a government will result in a lot of private sector participants generating a lot of loss those decisions are very difficult so you either need to have uh, higher authority imposing that on uh, on local authorities or um, you need a different system <laughs> so yeah this is what yeah, I think I mean the systems that we currently have are failing people and definitely the planet so I'm, I'm all for different systems and the evolution of that and that's my last question for you Tali and you know let's go beyond beyond the failing systems but I know the Global Citizen Forum is committed to you know the responsibility for future generations and you said it earlier you have trust faith and belief in the future generations so on a seven generational point of view here if we zoom out on the the timeline a little bit and we acknowledge that you know the the individual that we are is only around on this planet for a few decades right What's your what's your legacy or your vision, your Earth vision? Let's call it Earth vision for this planet, for our species. What do you what do you believe and have faith for in your heart of hearts and your soul um, for for this planet and for the species? Um, well, actually, that's a great question because it will probably sum up everything we spoke about in the past hour. Uh, to be very honest with you, I mean, I um, resonate 100% with uh, the organization I'm running and probably that's why I, uh, I love and enjoy doing it so much, but I, I really believe in everything the Global Citizen Forum stands for. Um, so if, uh, you know, if I could make a wish, let's say for the seventh generation, uh, it would be um, for it to first of all, to have uh, been able to successfully combat all the crises that are coming our way. But uh, to zoom out a little bit, I would, I would love to see, you know, a planet that's being, I mean, we keep coming back to this government, uh, government topic, but I would love to see a planet that's being um, uh, governed on a global uh, level, but in a completely reinvented way. And um, uh, in a in a way that is actually delivering on the purpose of, of, uh, of governance. Uh, I would love to see a, a planet where people identify themselves as uh, human beings um, on a primary level and of course protecting and maintaining their secondary, let's say, um, sources of ident identity, be it, you know, as you mentioned earlier, some sort of cultural um, uh, specifics, geographical and so on, but first and foremost, like on a human level. 
Um, and I would love to see a world where uh, people can uh, really uh, move freely around. Uh, I mean, a world where borders are not, uh, uh, countries are not an administrative unit anymore. And, uh, and people are able to, you know, to migrate um, freely uh, without any restrictions and without any limitations. And especially when this concerns their survival and the uh, survival of their, their children, you know, um, you know, the, the planet being open for everybody and uh, resources being shared sort of uh, on a, like, I don't know, some sort of reasonable basis, that would be, that would be really nice. I would be happy to have the children of my children of my children of my children live in a place like that. Do I believe in it and do I have faith? Um, let's say maybe. Let's say maybe, okay. I was just following you all the way into the story of the children of your children of your children because, you know, it, it seems to me that, that only those who dare believe and take action can make it happen. Thank you yeah. so much for your answers. I really enjoyed the conversation with you, Tali. Um, thank you so much for your time and your presence. Is there anything else you'd love to add or any kind of call to action somewhere where people can find you? I'm going to make sure to link out the Global Citizen Forum and the, the Instagrams and the websites and everything. Thank you very much. No, it was a, it was a great pleasure being your guest and, uh, and uh, you know, the importance of people like yourself and uh, initiatives like yours are, I think, extremely um, crucial and vital for for everything that's coming up for us so it's uh it's always you know it's always such a pleasure to connect with people like yourself thank you tali thank you